Hello, my name is Thomas, and welcome to British Culture, Albion Never Dies. The topic of this podcast is by request. I asked on my Instagram what topics would people like me to cover, and Frank on Instagram, at Hans Gruber, asked for 007's drinks. Well, I've covered this on my YouTube. I've covered, I think, five uh, drinks of James Bond so far. So I thought I'd broaden it out to include food and a drink. Now, of course, if I did go with the majority request, it would be straight back into the alphabet of Britishness. And to be honest, why not? I did the alphabet of Britishness some time ago and stopped at R, uh, simply because events in my own life took over. Moving country, new job, new industry, that kind of thing. It took up time, and the alphabet of Britishness is a huge, huge project when I get into it. Or it was. I was doing it every other week, and I was doing deep dives. Some of the episodes were up to an hour. I am interested in doing it again. Of course, the next letter is S, and from Pete Brooker from Taylor's of Love, I already have the suggestion to do S is for snooker. I really like that idea. It'll have me looking into something quite unfamiliar to me. So I will start up the alphabet of Britishness. If you have any topics for S, go ahead. Rather than doing it in great long episodes, I'll probably break it down into half-hour episodes and perhaps stretch it over a month rather than over a week because often I'd put out an episode and people would then say, oh, but you could have covered this and there were great ideas. So I might do a couple of episodes on a particular letter as long as it fell, say, within a month. So if you have a uh, an idea of what S could stand for in the alphabet of Britishness, please do contact me on Instagram at Fleming Never Dies or alternatively you can email me at albionneverdies at gmail.com. Thank you very much, by the way, to Sasha, Will, Liliana, Sigler, Mark and Joan for signing up to my newsletter, so you're getting uh, emails from me. As I explained, not only uh, going to give you the links to any episodes here that you might have missed, but also to the other podcasts and YouTube channels I appear on occasionally. Just a letter. I hope you've been enjoying them. And uh, if you're interested in signing up to my newsletter and you're not already, well, the link is in the show notes. So, so by popular request, at least a request from Frank at Hans Gruber, uh, W7's food and drink. And I'll go straight to it. Vodka martini, shaken, not stirred. It is an iconic line of the British secret agent, James Bond. First said in the movie version uh, in 1964's Goldfinger. And of course in the original books, Ben Fleming it was first said by the villain Dr. No, in 1958, he asks uh, Bond, medium dry martini, lemon peel, shaken, not stirred, and Bond says vodka. Dr. No replies, of course, Dr. Julius. No. <laughs> he knows the right way to drink it, apparently. This, I've read, comes from uh, Ian Fleming. Of course, many of the, the luxury items we have in the original novels are drawn directly from the life of Ian Fleming. He, he knew, <laughs> he wrote what he knew. And Dr. No, of course, says vodka martini, not gin martini, uh, which was previously kind of much more popular. Bond helped, I believe, popularise the vodka martini. The gin martini was more popular before, uh, but apparently, due to the impurities in some gins at the time, it was affecting Ian Fleming's health. He was advised by a doctor to switch to uh, vodka, which could be purer. This is something I've read, and if you know differently, albionneverdies at gmail.com is the email. <laughs> if you are a doctor and you're advising your patients to drink vodka instead of gin, please let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Anyway, anyway, Bond orders it himself in, uh, in 1959's novel Goldfinger, and of course, 
in the movie version of that, that's where we get the iconic line, Sean Connery saying, a martini, shaken, not stirred, to the Chinese-American actress Mai Ling. Goldfinger's aeroplane, something that always interested my students in China. I ran an adult education centre in China, and I did run kind of 007 drinks parties from time to time, all the different cocktails, teaching cocktail making, and that was in my own centre. You want to attract 1,500 students into a language centre, that's one way to do it. Uh, sometimes it was for government relations, so I ran events for the uh, for the Chinese Communist Party um, and often teaching something cultural about it. So right now it's the uh, the 20th anniversary of the 20th James Bond film, uh, Dime of the Day, and uh, in that, of course, he drinks the mojito, <laughs> which is a, a great drink for Royal Navy Commander to be having because it was popularised in the UK by Sir Francis Drake, uh, thanks to his adventures all around the Caribbean. Um, so that great Royal Navy role model that is Sir Francis Drake, uh, the man who features so heavily in all the countries we've ever invaded, one of my favourite books. <laughs> so there's a great deal of British culture imbued in that one drink. Anyway, vodka martini is the iconic one. Uh, it has become a bit of a catchphrase for James Bond, and indeed Pierce Brosnan did enjoy a vodka martini in uh, the 20th 007 Bond film, Die Another Day. Brosnan, by the way, was the first Bond to have all his films officially released in China, so nice little connection to my old haunts there. Of course, it has become quite the... The catchphrase, um, and so when when the filmmakers introduced Daniel Craig as the sixth actor to play Bond in the official series in 2006, we have that memorable line where he orders vodka martini, the barman says, shaken or stirred, and he replies, do I look like a give a damn? And uh, in some interviews it's been revealed uh, that originally it was a much ruder phrase than that, but they were having fun with it. It was It was just a little joke. What else is there to say? about it. Well, in the novels, again, 007 is far from a one-drink man, um, and of course Sean Connery popularised the idea that Bond drinks vodka martini. Uh, it's Roger Moore's Bond who really drinks bourbon a lot more, and it seems to switch with every other actor after that between vodka martini and some kind of bourbon or whiskey. For more information, of course, you can get a book called The Complete Guide to the Drinks of James Bond by David Lee. Uh, who I recently talked to on the From Tailors of Love Only Bond livestream uh, on YouTube. That was number four. And it was an absolute delight to talk to and answered one of my pressing questions. Um, the, the books have so many different drinks, and we see so few of them in the films. I was wondering if there's something that, uh, that he wanted to see Bond drink on screen. I got the answer then, but of course I should be directing you to the YouTube channel for From Tailors with Love. So uh, that was on the Only Bond livestream. Number four. Anyway, there's been a variety of drinks. The most famous one from the books is, of course, the Vesper. Um, it appears in the first novel, Casino Royale, back in 1953. Uh, the drink is created by 007, or rather by Ian Fleming, and named after the woman 007 falls in love with Vesper Linden, named after her. This is what Bond says to the barman. Three measures of Gordon's, one of vodka, Half a measure of quinoa lele, shake it over ice, and then add a large, thin slice of lemon peel. In the book, the barman seems pleased with the idea, and when you watch the film, look out for that. Look out for the barman's reaction, because the camera does stop on him, and I think it's just a cute little shot. And, uh, of course, 
one of the issues with uh, Daniel Craig's Bond saying this in 2006 is that Kino Lay stopped being produced in 1986. However, the same company produces a drink today called Le Blanc, uh, which is used now for most Vespers. Um, so I kind of assume the barman switches out um, Kino Le Lay for Le Blanc. And in fact, I had Vespers at my wedding. Um, as I said, I'd run a number of parties in China, you know, that centred around different types of cocktails, often adding in bits of British culture wherever I could, and, uh, I don't know, it just seemed the right one, and I do like a good Vespa. Um, although my wife and I were watching Casino Royale recently, and noted it was a very interesting choice of drink, considering, considering the film. <laughs> anyway, anyway, food and drink, I promised. Um... I first, well, I first got into Bond when I read the books, really. I read the books at university. And uh, it's familiar with the films. The films are kind of part of the furniture of uh, British culture. But it was really the books that got me into it. And I ended up getting a book about Ian Fleming. I was curious about the writer. And it's called For Your Eyes Only, Ian Fleming Plus James Bond by Ben McIntyre, well-known historian. And uh, chapter 007... Uh, shaken, stirred and custom-made, Bond's life of luxury has something really interesting to say about why. Why Fleming is writing about all this. Ben McIntyre writes, There are moments of great luxury in the life of a secret agent. Ian Fleming declared in the opening line of Live and Let Die, 1954. Again, we're just going with the books here. McIntyre writes, It's almost impossible to exaggerate the allure of Bond's lifestyle to a post-war Britain strained by rationing, Deprived of glamour and still bruised by the privations of war, Bond is, quite simply, a stylish, fast-shooting, high-living, sexually liberated advertisement for all the things ordinary Britons had never had yet dreamed of. The finest food and drink, smart clothes, fast cars, leisure time, casinos, exotic foreign travel, swimming in warm waters. Fleming called his evocation of this fantasy disciplined exoticism. But he was also one of the first writers to identify the appeal of the designer lifestyle in an emerging age of consumerism. Identifying Bond with certain brands made him not only classy, but believable. Now, of course, here we get into Ben McIntyre's real field history. Fleming had history on his side for his dealings in wartime espionage, had shown him that spies do indeed enjoy and require moments of great luxury. Much spycraft is boring, dangerous and uncomfortable, and spies tend to be self-interested people fascinated by material things. Perhaps because of this, human comforts and luxuries assume a disproportionate importance when an agent is off-duty. John Masterman, organiser of the famed double-cross system through which Britain played Germany's spies against their German spy masters, held it as an article of faith that secret agents should be pampered and cosseted, provided with money and, within the bounds of reason and tight security, allowed to indulge themselves with whatever comforts were available. He goes on to give examples of Eddie Chapman, codenamed Agent Zigzag, referring to his previous book, and uh, I was given red carpet treatment by MI5 handlers, wined and dined at the Savoy, and so on. Fleming must surely have come across such cases, of course, working at Admiralty Intelligence. He then goes on to contrast it with the rationing that Brits were familiar with in 1948, with control over food supplies even stricter than it had been during the war. The average man was rationed to two ounces of bacon and ham, one and a half ounces of cheese, and two ounces of tea each week, and just one egg 
every five days. The memory of deprivation was still fresh in 1953, and meat rationing would not end until 1954. So James Bond's diet of asparagus, fresh lamb, and pineapple in a single meal shows just how far above the average he is. The food of James Bond, especially in the books, is hugely, hugely important. That's partly why I was so excited uh, to be interviewing Edward Biddulph earlier in the year. He was an archaeologist who wrote the book Licensed to Cook, which delves deep into the recipes of Ian Fleming's James Bond. And I really, really enjoy his book Licensed to Cook because it not only kind of talks about the books, talks about the recipes, and Fleming describes a dish and he does so so vividly, Biddulph then goes off and finds like contemporary cookbooks and is able to find really authentic recipes. A deep interest of his, and you can find it on his uh, on his website, Edward Biddulph's License to Cook website. But I'll just read a bit from uh, from Edward Biddulph's book because again, what can I say? I think it's one of the most interesting aspects of James Bond. Okay, License to Cook, Chapter One, Introduction. James Bond doesn't eat in the films. Who knows where he's getting his energy from? Martinis, though full of calories, hardly constitute a balanced diet, but it's not from three square meals a day. Well, it's not strictly true. In Casino Royale, Bond consumes skewered lamb, a kebab of some sort, on a Montenegro-bound train, and he eats breakfast relatively frequently, Café Complet and On Her Majesty's Secret Service, and green figs and yoghurt in From Russia With Love. Still, the cinema audience is only a little less likely to see Bond visit the toilet and get his meat and two veg. <laughs> Strong opening from Edward Biddulph. You may be wondering, when do you see James Bond going to the toilet? Of course, if you're watching a James Bond film on ITV, he's going drawing the adverts like everybody else. However, if you're watching DVD, Blu-ray streaming, well... You do see a toilet in uh, Casino Royale, in the scene when Vesper is crying in the shower and Bond goes in. There is the toilet, <laughs> um, I think on the left-hand side of the screen. Um, and that's something that the director particularly wanted, to add in the realism. They're in a bathroom, show the toilet. Um, and of course, that is the same director um, of Goldeneye, which introduced James Bond for the first time, hanging upside down in a toilet. So... Maybe it's just a bit of a theme there. Anyway, I shall return to Edward Biddulph. The literary James Bond is a dish served from a different menu. Food is as much part of the novels as guns, champagne, women, villains and travel. Ian Fleming, author of the James Bond novels, said that he wanted to stimulate his readers right down to their taste buds. He certainly does that. We don't have to read many pages before Fleming stops the action to describe a meal. There are about 70 separate meals in the 12 novels and two books of short stories, but many more food descriptions since some of the dishes appear more than once. On average, there are five food references in each full-length novel. So, right by me I have three, three novels from which I have particularly vivid, memorable food descriptions. Casino Royale, the first, From Russia With Love, which is probably my favourite, and Goldfinger, 
nor one of my favourites, to be honest. Um, and I think there's a really interesting episode uh, of Donnie Waldron's podcast, Quantum of History, where he does Fleming versus film to see which is better, the book or the film. And that's like the one on Goldfinger's one where I absolutely came down on the side of the film. And the film solves several of the issues <laughs> of the book. Let's have a little look. Casino Royale in the chapter Pink Lights and Champagne. Oh, it's Vesper and Bond, and they're sitting together, and they're ordering a restaurant, and she orders something, well, quite expensive, and asks, is it very shameless to be so certain and so expensive? And Bond replies, it's a virtue. And anyway, it's only a good, plain, wholesome meal. She did not order a good, plain meal. <laughs> and bring plenty of toast. What could he be talking about? Bond aficionados will be very familiar with this section. The trouble always is, he explained to Vesper, not how to get enough caviar, but how to get enough toast with it. A ludicrous joke, <laughs> but one that I enjoy very, very much. Yep, so in the 50s, when most people aren't doing international travel, well, I suppose a bit like the last couple of years, and the UK had food rationing, well, to make a joke like that. <laughs> anyway, he then orders uh, for himself. Uh, I will accompany Mademoiselle with the caviar, uh, like very small tornadoes, underdone, the sauce, bernice, and a cord artichoke. When Mademoiselle is enjoying the strawberries, I'll have half an avocado pear with a little French dressing. Do you approve? And uh, the maitre d'hotel bows. Well, marvellous. Uh, beef medallions. And he asks for them small at a time when most fellas are having their, their meat rationed. He, he just wants a small one, thank you. He could have a big one if he chose. And also the heart of an artichoke. As uh, Edward Biloff notes, it's a very different world we live in. Even uh, when I was living in China. I was able to, to spend a few weekends trying out the different recipes that I read in the books. They, they seem so vivid and they read so well. I couldn't resist trying them. So I tried uh, the, the beef medallions. I tried making Bernay sauce, which is actually, well, there's a knack to it maybe, but it's relatively simple to make and very enjoyable to try. Um, and the beef medallions are fantastic and the artichoke hearts did add a great deal. And, and yes, couldn't resist uh, stealing a bit of Vesper's dessert. <laughs> I did have some of the strawberries. But it's fantastic there, having that with uh, champagne, cheerful wine, and suits the occasion, I hope. Oh, it's a, a lovely section of the book. And, uh, well, we hardly ever see Bond eating in the films, and they do, they do tend to be lovely, uh, well, what can I say, they're business lunches in the older films. From Russia with Love is probably my favourite description of food. And you, you can probably tell, you can probably hear that although I have done YouTube videos on James Bond drinks, the food is my real passion. Uh, a gentleman, Mr. Purdy, on Instagram, uh, was suggesting that I should do a couple of videos on the food. And actually just reading these again, yeah, I'm starting to feel the enthusiasm. In uh, From Russia with Love, in the, the second section, The Soft Life. Breakfast was Bond's favourite meal of the day. When he was stationed in London, it was always the same. Fantastic. We get a slice of the James Bond lifestyle right here. Consists of very strong coffee from Debray in New Oxford Street, brewed in an American Chemex. You might have seen these in Starbucks recently. Uh, Starbucks has kind of taken to selling the Chemex coffee makers, which kind of looks like a chemistry beaker. I did have one, and I've done the, the YouTube video on how to use them, but... It's, it's percolated coffee, really. I mean, I, I know there's I know there's many subtleties, but it is you know 
pack of coffee. Anyway, he drinks two large cups. I suppose that's one mug. Um, black and without sugar. The single egg in the dark blue egg cup with a gold ring around the top was boiled for three and a third minutes. But it's not just any egg. It was a very fresh, speckled brown egg from French Moran hens, owned by some friend of May in the country. Bond like Sherlock Holmes as a Scottish housekeeper. He also apparently dislikes white eggs and faddish as he was in many small things. It amused him to maintain that there was such a thing as the perfect boiled egg. Then there were two thick slices of whole wheat toast, a large pat of deep yellow jersey butter, and three squat glass jars containing tip tree, little scarlet strawberry jam, Cooper's vintage Oxford marmalade, and Norwegian heather honey from Fortnum's. That's, of course, Fortnum and Mason, which in London is not far away from Turnbull and Asser, where many Bonds have got their shirts, and, uh, of course, Pierce Brosnan got his ties. Anyway, he has them in uh, on a tray, which is Queen Anne, and the Chinas of Minton. So there we go, as, uh, as Penn McIntyre states, he's naming all the different luxurious brands. So that sets the scene for how Bond eats day-to-day, and it's basically toast and eggs and a bit of jam, so uh, relatively easy to replicate. I do like that. And then, of course, we see him going to Turkey and having something very, very different when he goes to the gypsy camp. There he has a mutton ragu. Again, I went with uh, Edward Biddle's recipe. I lived, of course, in Turkish Cyprus for seven years. I'm pretty familiar with uh, Turkish cooking, and I think his uh, lamb recipe, which I believe is on his website, um, was absolutely fantastic. It's become one of my favourite things, and with freshly baked, home-baked bread um, is... I believe my wife's favourite dish that I make, <laughs> I very, very much enjoyed it. I also um, stayed in Istanbul at the hotel where Ian Fleming stayed for real when he was doing his research, and it happens to be the same hotel. I don't know if it's coincidence where Agatha Christie wrote Murder on the Orient Express. Of course, that appears in the, the book From Russia with Love. Their breakfasts are absolutely amazing, um, and it's quite the spread probably worth a Google. I'll be sharing it on my Instagram, doubtless, as well. I very much enjoy it. And of course, that's the book where we get uh, Turkish coffee, um, which is a little bit different from uh, what he orders in the film. And it's a slightly curious matter. I think that's my longest video, a whole eight minutes. I devote to that on my YouTube channel, uh, Turkish Coffee and James Bond. And I tell a very, very personal story. I'm not going to repeat it, just in case you listen to this and go there. You don't want to listen to these stories twice. So, so, I shall go, finally, to Goldfinger, the appropriately named chapter, Living It Up, where, uh, where James Bond has a meal with uh, Mr. Dupont. And Mr. Dupont, of course, is a character he, he'd come across in Casino Royale. There is a bit of a connection across the books, which, when the, the movie came out, a few of us were thinking, oh, that guy at the table, he looks a bit like Mr. Dupont, and a couple of the other actors look like they could be other characters from later Fleming novels. We were wondering if they're going to carry on through the Fleming novels and do kind of re-adaptations of, of at least a few more. They went in a very different direction. Anyway... It's all about the stone crabs <laughs> in Goldfinger. A bustle of waiters round their table sir, saved Bond having to think of a reply 
Ah, he's asked a difficult question. With ceremony, a wide silver dish of crabs, big ones, their shells and claws broken, was placed in the middle of the table. A silver sauce boat, brimming with melted butter, and a long rack of toast was put beside each of their plates, Mr. Dupont and Bond. The tankards of champagne frothed pink. Finally, with an oily smirk, the head waiter came behind their chairs and, in turn, tied round their necks long white silken bibs that reached down to the laps. The meat of the stone crabs was the tenderest, sweetest shellfish Bond had ever take, tasted. It was perfectly set off by the dry toast and slightly burnt taste of a melted butter. The champagne seemed to have the faintest taint of strawberries. It was ice cold. After each helping of crab, the champagne cleared the palate for the next. They ate steadily and with absorption and hardly exchanged a word until the dish was cleared. <laughs> yep, there's quite a lot of food in the Ian Fleming novels and a fair amount of drink as well. But it's the food that really stands out to me. So uh, I did have a bit of a hobby for a few years of... Uh, recreating the meals there haven't done the stone crabs yet I'm, I'm not a big one for seafood but oh, it does sound good i did do um i did do the red snapper in no time to die bond uh seems to come home and join his retirement with a, a red snapper so i tried that and it is fantastic there's a good recipe in the daily gleaner anyway anyway it's an unusual hobby cooking food that's in the bond books but keeps me happy keeps me well fed so I, I really would recommend it and of course yeah no need to buy you can find all these recipes online say edward biddulph's recipe is decent and as i say he uh, happily let me interview him uh, earlier in the year and uh, if you haven't read the books by in fleming i, I highly recommend them uh, of course casino royale is the first i think some people go to it and, and really <laughs> really stop there uh, is of course the first one uh, i think he got into his writing style uh, much more in the later ones especially say from russia with love but if you really just like say the sean connery films i'd say that the novel thunderball is kind of the closest to uh the films of course on her majesty's secret service is, is wonderful um yeah from russia with love probably my favorite and it's got some great descriptions of food as well Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. Me just happily reminiscing over, over great food. Um, and if you've tried any of these dishes, let me know. As I say, you can contact me at Fleming Never Dies on Instagram or just email me at albionneverdies.gmail.com. Uh, Thank you very much, those who subscribe to the newsletter. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Goodbye. <laughs>